Welcome to Second Star to the Left, a podcast on everything fantastic, strange, and science fictional. Uh, I'm your host, Matt Nelson, joined with my co-hosts. I'm Bert. Oh, I'm Chris. Sorry, I have chicken and cabbage in my mouth. You don't have to tell them that. <laughs> I did, though. And I'm Katie, and I have nothing in my mouth currently. I think this is the fastest sexually related reference. <laughs> like... Usually it takes like five minutes, maybe. This is like I stopped seconds. myself. I <laughs> stopped myself there. from going a little too hard there, too fast. I hit. I did tap the brakes. All right, you're, you're just you're digging that hole. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, important that we each stay on our individual brand, so you know, I respect it. <laughs> um, I got some reader mail for us this week. <gasps> really. <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> uh oh. Uh, how 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 bad's the damage on me? When would they say? <laughs> it's actually all about you and how much they cannot stand. I believe the it. things that you are, and the things you choose to be. You know what? I'm just flattered that you said they all. Like, there's there's so many. So yeah, you got a whole like whatever the opposite of a fan club is. <laughs> I think it's called a, a murder cult. Is what it's called. Yeah. <laughs> well, so so I got this email. I'll um, I'll call the user because this is very relevant to the internet this week. Archie Carter, and Archie asks for the second star cast. What was your favorite sci-fi or like fantasy horror? You know, I think that sort of ballpark. What was that um, favorite one you had growing up? Like movie or series? Uh, I guess it's TV series. I guess movies could work too if that's like a, a thing for you. Um, I was a big Star Wars nerd when I was growing up, just like I'm sure everybody on the show. Um, so many EU novels. No, no. I I not. still have a bookshelf full of EU novels, like 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 Boeing with the weight of the EU novels I have on the shelves. So you know that's where I'm coming from there. I had a big model Millennium Falcon I built, and I played with that thing nonstop. Yeah, it was it was awesome. And um, as far as shows, um, I missed. I was too. I'm too like. Twin Peaks was before my time, which is a shame because it's my show now. Um, so I was an X Files kid instead. I had a huge X Files fanatic book about like every episode from the first through third seasons, and I know all these ridiculous trivial details that will never do me any good about X Files. <laughs> yeah, but oh my God, I still love rewatching Jose Chung's from Outer Space. I can just oh, watch yeah. <laughs> that episode on repeat. I mean, in fact, uh, I have a friend who recently moved, and every time that he comes in town and visit, like that is our ritual. We put yeah. on Jose Chung's from Outer Space. Yeah, so. Clyde Breckman's Final Repose is mine, but it's the same writer. Yeah, yeah. There, well, there you go. That's uh, they're all there are so many they're really good, good ones of yeah. of X Files. Um, I also really liked X Files growing up. That was like more in like it's like my late middle school, like, early teen years. Um, uh, when I was younger, I think, like, around 9 or 10, I spent a lot of time watching uh, TNG. Yeah, for me, it was a lot of TNG. I remember watching it with my mom. Like, that was the thing. And then eventually I transitioned to, like, Deep Space Nine. 
but she didn't like it because it was too dark, like both literally <laughs> and like topic wise. <laughs> but um, outside of Star Trek, though, there's a really great TV show called uh, Sequest DSV. I think I talked about this a little bit on The Abyss. Looking back on Sequest DSV now, it's this incredible show that is just so liberal and optimistic about the future and like not dystopian and it perfectly encapsulates this like spirit of like early 90s tv sci-fi um roy or roy scheider from jaws is the lead actor um it's just a very fun show so if, i think it's on netflix maybe or amazon right now and it's on i highly encourage at least the first season it is <laughs> very fun and very stupid um <laughs> but so like it's just charming and in how innocent and naive it is so yeah <clears throat> Uh, sometimes you need feel good things. The TV show I remember the most from my like absolute childhood, like not not even my youth, but like being a small child, was Sliders. Oh uh, yeah. And I'm oh, yeah. googling it now, which is difficult because mostly like hamburger related things come up. <laughs> John Reese Davies, man, he's into hamburgers. Yes, exactly. Uh, but uh, yeah, so this is a. A very 90s TV show. Oh boy, is Because it, ever. it featured a boy genius and his comrades who traveled to different parallel universes. The, the episode that stands out to me the most, so they're trying to get back home. It's, uh, it's basically Quantum Leap, but like 90s style with lots of flannel and stuff. Um, <laughs> and so they travel to different parallel universes. They're trying to get home. The one that sticks with me is when they showed up in one universe that they thought was, if not their home universe... It was going to be really close, so but they only had, like, 90 seconds to figure it out. And they go up to the, the, the guy's house, and he's like, I know the squeak of this gate like the back of my hand. And he squeaks the gate, but it doesn't squeak. And then they check the newspaper, and the, news, the front page of the newspaper is <laughs> O.J. Simpson arrested for murder. And they look at each other and like, no way the juice would do that. And, <laughs> and then... <laughs> So they go through the portal and go on to the next universe. And then the guy's dad comes out and he's like, I finally fixed that squeaky gate. It's <laughs> like the end of the episode. It's like a Simpsons gag. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it really was. I, I kind of hope I'm remembering it like a little, like emphasizing the funny parts more than they actually were. Because I don't think it was supposed to be funny. No, it's like it Twilight is... Zone, like terror. Yeah, it's so fucking hilarious to me. That's awesome. I, I love sliders. I will say as an addendum, I totally forgot uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. I was insanely into. And yeah, I should have mentioned that. Rude. Uh, thank you for writing in, Archie Carter. And uh, we're always taking email about questions for the cast. Uh, you can email us at secondstarcast at gmail.com. This week we're talking Dark City. First. There was darkness. Then came the strangers. They come when we sleep. Seeking a cure for their own mortality. To steal our thoughts. Our souls makes us different from them. To shape our memories. We have much to do. To take away that makes us human. It is time. Who are they? Answer me! But 
One of us knows their secret. You saw something, didn't you? I don't think the sun even exists. And one of us... We are running out of time. No escape. ...has the power to stop them. Uh, that was the trailer for Dark City. Um, Dark City is the story of John Murdoch, a man who awakens in a hotel bathtub, uh, suffering apparently from some kind of amnesia. He is then embarks on a mystery trying to find out who he is and what he's about uh, while being pursued for the supposed murders of six different women in this mysterious city. He's also being hunted by mysterious pale men in trench coats. And bowler uh, hats. And bowler hats. He explores of this neo-noir city, eventually figuring out that city uh, is always going um, and never, ever sleeps. John Murdoch is trying to solve the mystery of his own existence and what is going on in this mysterious city. Uh, he encounters these uh, mysterious men and is entranced by the idea of where he came from, a supposed place called Shell Beach that he can never, ever reach. John Murak discovers that this city is actually a giant spaceship run by these mysterious men in bowler hats and coats, where they are experimenting on humans to find out what humanity is all about. Murdoch discovers that he has the ability, as the strangers, as they're called, do, uh, they have the ability to alter the nature of the reality on the spaceship itself, and he discovers that he also has that power. Uh, eventually, he gets into a climactic battle with the uh, strangers, which are a alien hive consciousness trying to discover what humanity's uh, whole deal is, and eventually gains the power, defeats them, uh, and reshapes the city to create Shell Beach, and he is reunited with his estranged wife, or the per woman who was his wife, or not the woman who was never all. his wife ever. <laughs> and that's Dark City. So, how'd you all react to this movie? The unwife, um... <laughs> secret wife, amnesia wife. <laughs> that, that sounds much worse when you yeah. say it that way. Yes, yeah. it's like, oh wait. Is this sexual assault now? Cool. Mm. Well, it's definitely not really We'll jump consent. into that later. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. We'll get in there. Um, I wish that first scene with Jennifer Connelly was Mambo number five. <laughs> <laughs> That's your relationship with this movie? <laughs> yes. This is what I took away from it. I wish it was Mambo number five. I think uh, if there were trumpets in Dark City, I'd freak out. Like, <laughs> right... <laughs> Lasting like ska trumpets. A little bit of Mr. Hand in my life. You just do every single one. I don't remember their names other than Mr. Hand. Like Mr. Hand, Mr. Wall, Mr. Book. I really love their names. It was just like literally like they were looking around. They're like, I'm Mr. Lamp. It's like the uh, end of Usual Suspects. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, Mr. Kaiser Soze over there. Um, Two on the nose. <laughs> uh i have always loved this movie um i mean it's a love where like i know it's kind of corny and silly in a lot of ways and also like a lot of things that are in the movie probably don't really need to be as padded as they are um and some of the dialogue is pretty stupid and silly but i love it it's it's a quintessential style over I mean, it still has substance to me, but a lot of it is lended that from 
the way it's stylized and the way it looks and feels. It's a very big tonal movie for me. So yeah, I like it a lot. Always liked it. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy to sell me if you open with that noir aesthetic. You can package a lot of different stories in that and and get me pretty into the experience. Like, neo-noir aesthetic, where it's like kind of an indeterminate time period, but it's featuring the trappings of just this, like, mystery plus the lighting and the huge level of just like tension and like the audience doesn't know what's going on and the characters don't know what's going on combo that it just like i don't know creates this experience where it allows them to i i appreciate using that to tell this like very weird out there story uh and not like limit themselves to the form necessarily and the the like stories that are generally told in that form so that whole experience i really appreciate for me i had never seen dark city before and i think in some ways that did a disservice for me as i saw it because i was actually kind of surprised it was apparently uh like uh late in the 90s i believe when it came out it's like 98 Uh, yeah 98 i couldn't help so special effects wise to me it uh, this one didn't land as much for me. I think part of it was the reason why, like, it felt like an early '90s film, like an early '90s noir-ish sci-fi film. But then also, um, this film for me is overshadowed by The Matrix. Like, okay, no, like, like <laughs> the movie that came out fight. after it. You mean? Yeah, 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 no, because I think that Dark City for me is a film that would be more influential if The Matrix hadn't come out right after it. You're correct. Potentially. Because <laughs> I think, that to me, The Matrix does a lot of things that Dark City is trying to do, but more cohesively and more, more coherently. I think that The Matrix obviously is a much bigger influence on this sort of, like, question of reality and, and things like that. Um, and vinyl. I, that, for me, I think just... What? And vinyl and leather. <laughs> and leather and vinyl. And I think that for me Yeah, the fashion kind of... in Dark City is a lot better than the fashion in The Matrix. Yeah. Like, if nothing else, it's got that. Go on. <laughs> well, I, I was just saying that I think that I would have loved to have seen this if I hadn't seen The Matrix, like, earlier or before, because I think that I would have appreciated this a lot more if I hadn't. I, I just kept, like, draw, feeling myself drawn to this comparison of, like, I wish I was watching The Matrix right now. Yeah, so me and Matt knew we were going to disagree on this one, and I didn't realize how hard we were going to disagree. Because that's actually... (laughs) My thing about this movie is I have always felt that there are things about The Matrix that are interesting, and there are filmmaking things that are good, but overall the movie is not that great. It's it's actually very dated. Even for the time it was released, it was kind of dated. A lot of it just doesn't work for me. And this movie... I remember I saw it after, and I was like, yeah, this is what The Matrix should have been. This this movie is... It's still a little silly, and it's still a little... It's trying to do a little more heady stuff than it's probably capable of, uh, but it is a much better film. Um, so so what works for you? What, what draws you to Dark City over The Matrix? So they're both very stylistic movies. They have a lot in common. They're both very stylized. Um, I like the style of this a lot more because that style is a reserved contemplative noir influenced mm-hmm. uh heavily influenced by blade runner um it has a lot of you know internal stuff going on it it, it lends itself more to it so so i think one of the ideas that prevails through both movies is um questioning reality and 
you know, what is going on in the everyday world is real or not. And I think that style is much better served by the things I just said than um, slow motion bullet time and shooting guns and doing flips and wire foo. I don't think that stuff... It is otherworldly, but I don't think it lends itself to an internal examination of those things. It's more of a, aha, we're in a supernatural world. Um, it's an action movie type thing, as opposed to a psychological assessment of things. So for you, The Matrix foregrounds that action piece where in the same place that Dark City foregrounds the psychological piece. Yeah, and I don't really have, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world. It's, it's obviously, it was obviously influential. I don't think the message of the movie is as well served by people shooting guns and doing flips and moving in slow motion than noir trappings. And I mean, there's some silly stuff at the end of this movie for sure, but there's also a lot of great stuff that I feel is more central to the movie. So I I do still love The Matrix, but to me it has never been a movie about question like what is reality what are we as like what makes us essentially right. you know human versus like that's never been the thing that i think about when i'm like ooh, i'm gonna watch the matrix again like i'm like ooh, i'm gonna watch the matrix again because it's fun watching keanu reeves learn how to be a like a superhero or whatever like that's that i, I completely agree that that part does completely take over any of the and that's why the sequels are so unwatchable is right. because they try to like foreground that like eastern mysticism stuff without really understanding it and then it just doesn't work when it's like and now it's time for a break for fighting so i think for me like dark city really does foreground the what makes us essentially human what happens to your perception of existence and your like your individual self when reality doesn't exist anymore are we our memory like it, it is absolutely just asking these questions and arranging them as the prominent feature because it's a mystery story and so it's getting you in the mood to like ask questions and hope try to figure out answers to those questions yeah it'd be super great if it wasn't framed around violence against women boy would so many movies be great if it didn't (laughs) ask you what humanity was around violent deaths of women geez maybe one day we'll get there yeah that's that's that is definitely troubling. I, I, I completely agree. I agree, and it's very weird what the violence against women, how it relates to the actual plot of this movie. It, it feels like a red herring of all things. No, it's like, it's um, it's a uh, shit. Not ex- it's exhibitionism. Uh, I mean, like it's like uh, voyeurism. But yeah, it's voyeurism to that degree. Like that, a lot of neo noir has that like actual noir doesn't necessarily have. Um, not to say that stuff in like the noir era was like super you know progressive for women but now it's just like if i tried to do a search for movies like either like true true crime or you know just any kind of um like detective uh like base fiction you can probably guess the number that's centered around violent deaths of women specifically sex workers and it's just it's just so much more salacious when they it's, kill prostitutes it's cliche and it's not even a good cliche like it's mm-hmm. not even particularly helpful i don't think it helps the character development at all right i think a lot of things could be a much better stand-in i mean 
at some point it was just like, did someone like look up? you know, Black Dahlia and was like, oh, I'm gonna make a movie. I'm gonna put this in my movie. I, yeah, actually, I feel like that's where that came from. I feel like it's a trope of the genre, which is definitely not, like, that's not an excuse. It definitely doesn't need to be a trope of the genre, and you can do those stories without doing that. It it definitely feels like a real minus to this movie. Luckily, about halfway through, it just becomes like, why was that even in the movie? <laughs> <laughs> like you kind of almost well I does mean, that make it better or does that make it worse it, right if, if it can be so easily replaced by anything else that feel like that makes it less excusable like if you could be i get like uh you're inventing yeah. someone who has maybe more like violent tendencies or things like that but does it specifically have to be like women killed in ritualistic fashion like no absolutely i would have liked it better if the substitute was because because of like a central idea at the at the middle of the movie kind of is that people when they fall asleep during the nighttime phase um the strangers like change their roles in society or yep. what their lives are so i thought it would have been better like if you can have him and have any life that's different i don't know have him have a life where i don't know he's like poor and destitute or rich or something like you can make a class Sort of, they do that halfway through the movie. It's just a throw-off gag. But you could have done that instead of, oh, he's a murderer of prostitutes, but he's actually not. Like, it's such a weird... Right, well, um, it's, again, like, it's such a trope for noir, and I guess, like, again, like, that's the thing, is, like, it's a trope for neo-noir more than, I right. think, actual noir. And you could even still have this character be a murderer, I think, you know, about, like, something that feels so foreign and alien to your actual nature, Right, but it didn't necessarily have to be sex workers, right? It's specifically like women. Right, and then yeah. we're like lingering over her like bare, bloody breast. Like it's very, like, I, I, I guess they were trying to put us into that space of like, here's the start to a noir movie, the way that all noir movies yes. start. Yeah, and... with Mambo Number Five, the way I expect <laughs> them to. Those are Katie noirs. <laughs> Give me money, I will make a movie, and it'll be awesome. <laughs> no, I mean, I definitely agree. It's it's just... I don't know. Like, it, it definitely doesn't make it better that they let it go about halfway through. I would just say, like, the direction of the movie shifts away from the trappings of the genre and says, like, oh, well, that's... It, it kind of, in a way, is saying, like, yeah, this idea of the, these cliches that stories run with are all kind of just not relevant to the actual center of this movie but at the same time yeah it doesn't need to be in the movie for it to make that statement also it seems weird that if you abducted a sample population that's presumably limited i mean are they like controlling breeding i don't know they're not really ever say um to be honest i assume that they never killed anyone right that's what i'm saying but i think they do because you never see those women again right yeah and i don't think they care about Except that, well, they don't may not care about people. But they're, they're going to run out of test yeah, I was say, Exactly. You have a limited N, right? You have, a, you have a limited small number N to extrapolate your data from. You'd, you'd want to keep them alive a little bit better. I'm going to go ahead and say that I think that their grasp of the scientific method was a little bit wanting. <laughs> yes, exactly. I mean, that's I, true. But like, even from any perspective, it's like, we have a limited number of subjects. Maybe like, don't just like start like murdering for funsies. Well, you know. Does he murder anyone in the film? Yeah, who legit dies is my question. Um, uh, the, 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 Mr. the prostitute. Hand, Mr. Well, Hand, like, legit, like, kills two people 
in it. Yes, no, he kills two people. But I think my impression was that the murders were implanted, or well, that was part of the cocktail for John Murdoch's character. Right. And so he, we see the flashbacks, we see the memories that he has just, of him supposedly killing them. Well, you have but, someone who is very clearly dead in the hotel room, plus the two that they were killed. Created they could have created that body. That. They plant things throughout the entire movie. reality. But yeah. it doesn't really matter that because like we're still involved in this story where like in front of the camera there is a very dead very violently murdered right. prostitute and that's the impetus for the red herring story that we have right. to live in for the first half of the movie yeah, yeah like, absolutely definitely three people three humans who definitely mm-hmm. die and so like I, I, if you're like repurposing these memories and like you're working within a short span of time I'm guessing that your sample population is actually pretty small. So losing three might be like, we're just going to kill, like, I don't know, 10% of our sample here. Oopsie well, daisy. Mr. Mr. Hand killed them? Yes. So Mr. No, Mr. Hand, Hand killed two. Mr. Hand killed who? two. He killed who? the blonde lady who had the child, who and that child right. you never see again. Right. Um, and then he killed the uh, chief inspector. And who was the third one? The girl at the beginning? Yeah. Okay, so the girl at the beginning, we don't... I mean, yes, it's presented as that person dying for the audience. What I'm saying is, like, from a logistics perspective, we don't know if that's an actual... We don't know the details. They, I don't know. They could have abducted a Okay, person. two it people really definitely happen. were okay. murdered <laughs> but, on but, going, but what I'm saying is, the two that were killed by Mr. Hand were after he um, took Murdoch's implanted memories. Mm-hmm. So the notion and and his and that character kind of has an arc where it's like I'm becoming human and I don't know what to do about it. So it's possible that like those murders are committed out of a an impossibility of understanding how humans work. Like like I feel like that character kind of goes off the rails anyway. So well, that was supposed I, to be committed I, by a person. Yeah, I think that the plan was that John Murdoch would continue the spat of murders himself. To your point, Katie, definitely that you know, you're, you're going to start blowing through your population here. It seemed like the murder piece was sort of a new exploration for them uh, in terms of their trying to understand humanity. Like, right. murder was something they hadn't tried yet. And, okay, so now we're going to make John Murdoch be this person. Right. And that's kind of where it fell apart. Uh, well, I guess because of Keith Sutherland. But they but... took memories from other people and remixed them. So someone was already a murderer. It's like playing a game of werewolf. Like someone's definitely they could have been a murderer before they were abducted. Right, it does but I mean, sound like... like we're playing werewolf, which I like. But <laughs> <laughs> like that's what I'm saying. It's like it feels kind of like that. Like so, I mean, again, and you have like one human person who's like doing all of this. I don't think you have a large population. Anyway, there's my thesis for like this is a bad sample size. <laughs> you have a bad in sample this, for your study. In this essay, I will. No, yeah, but uh, <laughs> there's a lot of there's there's definitely a lot of places like you could you could tear it apart and go like how does this make sense but i i mean that's fair it's the same with the matrix or any of these movies where there's like a massive existential conspiracy it's kind of like well lots of things fall apart so let's i'll say i will say that the one like win for women in this movie you could say is this movie was very clear like was willing to overdub some stuff um, except Jennifer Connelly's aggressively mediocre singing, like halfway through. Oh yeah, through. it was so bad. I'm like, all the things that you overdubbed, like mm, we're keeping this one in, baby. But 
I kind of love that scene. It's a noir. The the it's, femme fatale has to sing. Okay, it's but like so, in the she doesn't yeah. even get to be a femme fatale though. Like, that's the she's thing, as is, close as we got. So like you have the beginning sequence where she's singing, right? Which is yeah. which is fine. It's not great, but it's you know a classic. And then there's this other one that I guess is like, well, we're just gonna do like a '90s hit, and she's gonna sing it. But like the singing is not good. The song is bad. Yeah, it's just bad. Yeah, no. It's I'd... so charming to me, though, that, <laughs> that in the 90s, it was like, well, she can't sing. This is the song we have. Like, did it we're make just, it we're into just, the theatrical just, version? I'm pretty pumped, but it's like, we're just fucking doing it. Let's just let her do it. I, I appreciate that more than anything. Like, I don't like when they... You can just tell it's fake. It's like, I, I like, it's real. It sucks, but like, good. <laughs> I'm glad she's allowed... I'm glad she's allowed to suck. They overdubbed so many, like, other, or not so many, but they overdubbed other parts where it's super obvious, but not the one where it's just like, this is maybe the one they should have done, though. <laughs> it might have been the, cut out of the original, yeah. yeah. The one conversation between, which conversation was it? I think it was, like, the conversation between, like, the couple that then got turned into mm-hmm. a rich couple. That's the that worst was, dialogue in the whole yes. movie. And that's it's one that's spectacularly bad, and compared to, like, the the rest of the performances were quite good and the direction yeah. was really good and, and so this yeah, just happens it's the badly like, overdubbed conversation like yeah <laughs> why is this here yeah she's adr to hell it's like oh my goodness um it it feels like it's from another movie and it does <laughs> they just put it in i mean it fits the movie but like the dialogue is, is especially like this yeah, is a it, sketch it looks like the movie but it has no place in right. the film yeah it's very weird yeah, especially but, since they could have just done the hotel uh, guy being at the newsstand and it would have been fine. That works it sells fine. sells the whole thing. That's perfect. Yeah. I think one of the things that I struggle with in this film is um, the, the dual protagonists kind of piece. Hmm. Uh, so you have both like John Murdoch as the, I think, the main protagonist. But then we also have uh, John Hurt's character. William Hurt. Or sorry, William Hurt's character as the detective, which yes. from a noir framework, I feel like he should be. A bigger character than he is or ends up being. I, I feel like I only have like negative things to say about the movie. Oh my god, William Hurt but is like, my favorite actor. And no, no, he's awesome. I love him in this film. I really do. Yeah, I love his deadpan nature. It works so well for this detective character. I wanted more of him. Like I wanted more of his arc oh. and his character. I mean, I can agree with that. I always want more William Hurt. He should have just <laughs> been all throughout the movie, but. I, I kind of, I, I love there's a point in this movie, he just asks him really simple questions. He's like, when was the last time it was daytime in your memory? And he gets, like, really upset. And then for, like, there's, like, a 15 to 20 minute stretch where he's just like, all right, fuck it, we're going with it. And I'm like, cool. Like, it's again, it's like, we have these neo-noir trappings, and it's like, ah, fuck that, we're telling a different story. We'll just use them as, like, a framing device and then just totally throw them under the bus, like, the minute the story doesn't need them anymore. So I don't know. It works really well for me. <laughs> I love the subversion of, I, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to take us off on a complete tangent here, but like you just reminded me that I love the subversion of the, the noir trope that it's always nighttime. Yeah. Into this, it actually always being nighttime. Like, and that being like one of the keys to unraveling the mystery is like, when is the last time you remember it being daytime? Holy crap, we're in a movie, basically. Yeah. Uh, I think that kind of with the violence against women, which again, I don't think needs to be in the movie at all. But I think like this whole movie is 
is partially like a meta narrative about that. It's like it's like okay, it, let's use the noir genre as like an assessment of it's a lens, this yeah. fake world. Yeah. yeah, let's like oh, imagine you were trapped. It's like you were trapped in a movie. You're trapped in a Fritz Lang movie. You can't get out. And then yeah, let's just have the character go behind the curtain and I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff. So, I don't know. With William Hurt I mean, do you not like that they're both on the same side? Half, do you think they should have been at odds the rest of the movie? Or does it just not really work? I think it just doesn't... I mean, he dies. I think, <laughs> yeah. The things about this film that... you, you know, The all-is-nighttime, the neo-noir trappings... At times, to me, it feels too stylized. It reminded me a little bit of a Tim Burton film. Yeah. In the sense that the style sometimes overrides making sense so like the aliens seeing their ability to manipulate this spaceship slash city is a giant face that opens up into a clock yeah it's just like yeah too <laughs> great on the nose for me like the it reminds me of like harlan ellison sci-fi from the 70s that's just like really like yeah we're just fucking weird with this shit we're just getting really into some like um uh, but it's art deco face and clock so that's exactly Style. So. Exactly. It's just like style for the sake of style, as opposed to style for the sake of this is going to advance the story for a purposeful reason. Like I love the idea of the beach. The beach for me was a stylistic thing that works within the context of the film. Yeah. Because the beach represents a a uh, expanse that the city is enclosed. Right. Like from a theme perspective. The, the city is a completely enclosed and trapped environment that you can never really get out of, but the beach is a horizon. Right. The beach gives you something to look forward to that you cannot see beyond. And I love that idea. That's where light is. Right. What? So what's the problem with with the the face of the... the what's the problem with all it's that? It's just too stylized. It's too Why? much like... <laughs> if, <coughs> I, I guess I want more functionality to it. I don't know. Okay. I think... I think noir might be the wrong genre for you then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean the nature of it's it's kind of weird because it on on the one hand it does it does kind of use that the genre as a jumping off point, but at the same time it's also even though it's a, a, a sci-fi movie at the end of the day and and a you know, it still has to obey the rules. You know, it still has to use yeah. the style. It actually, it's funny because Alex Proyas uh, directed The Crow. I'm not a big fan of The Crow for kind of the same reasons. Um, I mean, I like it, but the style doesn't do enough for that movie for me. Um, it doesn't save it. It's got too many other problems. Whereas this movie, it's like, I mean, there's a few problems, but I don't know. It, it, the style is so overbearing and, and tied into the movie itself that it somehow works. I, you know, it's. I think that they were trying to go like especially with like the speaking of the beach and like when they talk about um exploring like what it is to be human right and their take on memories and just sort of like what we know psychologically now like a lot or rather i should say a lot of people do know but like i guess your memories literally are what make you who you are or a part or help assist in defining who you are so there was a that in that moment where he's like you were looking up here and he like points to his head but that's not where like or you know that's not what it means to be human like, that's where you're gonna find it and part of me was like 
then where the fuck do you find it, idiot? Right, right, right. And, right. like, I was just, like, really mad that they didn't offer an alternative. I'm like, oh, they're trying to imply that it's the heart because I wasn't yes. going there because as far as I care about, the the soul is stored in the balls. Like... <laughs> well, I think, okay, so we kind of <laughs> talked, we kind of talked about the weird nature of Jennifer Connelly's memories not really being true, so they were never technically married, so, but also at the end, they kind of are still going through the same memory right like at the end or like at the very end too it's like no big deal i'm god but that's hey baby wink like it's just like ugh. i understand but i think the notion of the movie like in the scene where he's in prison and they have the um the through the glass i don't know what you call that the visitation i think the notion is is it's very dangerously close to being corny but the notion is that like regardless of their memories or their built experiences that love can get through that like i think the idea is that the spirit of man and and love and those types of things aren't intrinsically tied to memory and they go beyond that i don't necessarily agree with okay but it's a nice notion at least it's pleasant for me it reminded me of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind yes but without all the things that the spotless mind like delves into as a theme of like relationships and trauma and connection to other people. And so for me, it was like, it just feels like a shotgun blast of ideas. Yes. And I want to like sit with a couple of them, not have as many. And just like, cause like for me, the aliens are really interesting. Mm-hmm. I think them try like in a way, I feel like the movie tries to build them up as sympathetic because they're trying to identify what individuality is they're trying to figure out what it means to be human. They're trying to survive, and then John Murdoch commits genocide. <laughs> yeah, he just nukes their entire species and civilization. Granted, the methods that they were doing aren't okay, but I wanted... I feel like they like are coded as evil when they don't need to be. Like that little fucking kid biting his like fingers off. Like, this is the most creepiest little bastard child ever. <laughs> This movie yeah, just really of... wanted you to have a reason to finally applaud a child's death. You're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> Fuck that kid. I hate him. Basically, like, <laughs> not normally supposed how, to. how much more evil can you get well, than a little child that's biting your hands and blood's dripping down them and, like, he's an evil little monster? Well, like, I, literally. Right. I think the idea is that they're, they're uh, the aliens themselves or whatever you want to call them. I don't know if it's like a parallel reality or a weird kind of whatever. whatever. <laughs> like, a, like a Cenobite Twilight thing? Zone thing. It doesn't really matter. I think the idea of them is that they want to understand this and they don't care about the collateral damage or the, the trauma they inflict on others. So therefore they are evil, but which is unfortunately probably by a, a by nature thing. Although like, see, the, that's a very human way of reading them. Yeah. The problem Cause that's what we is, do. <laughs> see, see Thanks if Mr. If Mr. Hand didn't have the arc, like where he wants, he comes to an understanding and kind of almost, it's not even like feels bad. He just wants to, you know what I mean? Like, he, he's kind of humanized, whereas, like, you know, the kid is just... It, I, they're all supposed to be like that. They're all supposed to be evil. It's it's evil, quote-unquote, but they're just, yeah. you know, they don't care about... It's just an uncaring thing, which I guess makes you evil. I mean, it's, it's like Matt said, it's a very human read, because that's very much what we have historically done. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. So it's yeah yeah so I get that um, it's fine I coded them as evil because like now I just see them all as Billy Corrigan who I hate. So. 
<laughs> that's easy for me. You're like, fuck that asshole. Um, I like that they were all apparently men. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so that was good also call. easier and more white, satisfying to hate. Very, very white men. <laughs> yes. Who wear trench coats. Yes. That's, and yes. I, I don't know. Ahead of its was, time. I think there was like, what, one black character briefly for on screen for two seconds to show that they changed the hotel manager, right? Yes. Yeah, that's the only, okay. Yeah, that's the only one. Yeah, two seconds. I mean, um, like a lot of these movies fall into the same like issue, so like I can't really criticize too much because like it's a it's a prevailing problem. But no, yikes! Yeah. I mean, like they're playing jazz. Oh, sorry, there was there was the jazz musician. Sorry, we gotta have the the most token black role on that one. So yeah, I think it was the jazz yeah, pianist. Oh, for sure. so. Yes, have there been? This is a. It's kind of related to your question. Have there been noir movies? Like or neo noir movies that are strictly from like a, a black or, or a person of color perspective, that would be really I don't know. Interesting. It is a it is a very white genre, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking is is I was thinking, well that's the genre, but then it's like well, I would actually love to see like a noir yeah, movie. Yeah, there's no reason it, it has to be. Like yeah. it, it probably I'd be interested in, in seeing if that if that does exist. because um, I think you're right. I think that would be an interesting, like stylistic I would love to see this type of style integrated, like, into a completely different perspective, especially if you're trying to take, like, that whole era of, like, 1930s, 1940s, especially. I think that'd be really good to see. I'd love to see, like, a noir version of The Wire or something. Like, to put all, like, yeah, it'd be really interesting. Um, See, I'm I'm thinking of, like, a noir uh, story told from the perspective, and entirely the perspective of the femme fatale, and just, like, what's she doing? You know, in this whole hiding thing my bongos I'm like, <laughs> of my dress. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking of like noir is like, like the the what, what comes to mind is the noir hardball detective, right? Humphrey Bogart character, like that is the archetype to me of noir in my head. You know, it's the white male perspective, like that. It, that's just the overriding thing about it. And so to think of a noir film of, you know, Sam, the character Sam from. Casablanca, like his, what's his deal? Like to have his story told and have him be the main character is interesting to think about. Yeah, um, I feel like there's been some that kind of get close. I don't, uh, you, you, but it's 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 weird. Like it, they were all back in the day. They're not really current. From the from the perspective of the femme fatale, would be interesting. I just would like to get because I feel like the genre is not incredibly closely tied to perspective. So you could totally do a lot of different interesting stories with it. I think what's happening here, and I think it's like partially an explanation for why we have, not have to, but why we do start with violence against women as like the starter trope for the movie is like, there was probably a level of reluctance to go beyond the very basic trappings of noir in the like noir framing story, because the subversion in this film is, oh, actually like we're in, this sci-fi world precursor to the matrix right uh but i think that that is not necessarily a great excuse for not playing with the form a little bit more in the early story i think you still could yeah i would have loved to go into this movie like completely blind like somebody was just like here's a movie it's called dark city watch it and i'd never seen a trailer or like a poster knew the genre or anything that that is how I did it this time. I've never seen it, and I've re- I really didn't know very much about it at all. So I, I definitely, you know, did not know what was going on 
when he woke <laughs> up in the bathtub and had no memories and Kiefer Sutherland calls him on the phone and says and like knows what's going on it, it was it was definitely fun to watch it from, from a like absolutely no knowledge perspective That's also cool. Kiefer Sutherland really really pretty great I, well I mean if you talk about acting experiences like I loved Rufus uh, Newell I think Rufus Sewell. Sewell. Sewell yeah in this like fucking badass like I just love that character yeah, he has the he has the intensity that works for the character really really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love him in general. Um, I really love see Kiefer Sutherland's. It's interesting because every time I watch this movie, I I watch like the first two thirds and I'm like, I don't remember like Kiefer Sutherland being such such an ass in this. Like he's he's so like he's <laughs> he's just a pain in the butt. Like the oh entire, he's the, he's the Weasley scientist. Yeah, it's and it's because that last scene with him where he like injects him with all these memories to fix it's just like it's so it does so much to change the nature of the character you're just like oh my goodness this is it's crazy uh, every time i watch it i'm like this was so well done and well executed and then of course there's a big dragon ball z fight so i mean <laughs> mm. <laughs> kind of goes off the rails yeah <laughs> unless you like that it's kind of akira ish yeah yeah it's a little it's a little much I, I don't know how I feel like that's the violence against women and that is really the weakest part of luckily it's about five minutes but them having mind battles is a bit yeah these like struggles of will where you think at each other really hard and the one who thinks the hardest wins the struggle like that's not a that's not a fight that the audience can identify with or like understand what's happening in any meaningful way and it doesn't tell any kind of story the way that a good fight scene tells a story about why somebody ultimately wins the fight and this is why all the marvel movies suck whoa <laughs> except winter soldier which does a great job but touche no thor ragnarok is the only good one anyway there's no <laughs> we're listening off the yeah i was gonna say we'll see off all these movies and birds like they all suck ass, ass. <laughs> uh, send in your reader comments to second star no um no. Ragnarok is the best one, but Winter Soldier has the best fights. That's all. That's all I was saying. Uh, I love this movie. Roger Ebert liked it a lot, and he loved Garfield the movie, so he has to be right. <laughs> <laughs> didn't, didn't he also love Godzilla in 1998? No, I'm pretty positive he didn't. I hope okay, he did. I'll, Stop we'll bringing check it the up. Record. Stop. <laughs> We're not watching it. Please, don't make me watch it again. What else? Jennifer Connelly. I don't even want to talk about her because it's such. She a... was, she's, she has, she feels like the, she didn't the have term a, that comes she to wasn't mind. given a lot to do. Yeah, the term is nothing burger. Like that's what comes to mind. <laughs> she wasn't given Mambo Number Five, and it was all downhill from there. You're right. I mean, more... you've, you've hit the nail on the head. <laughs> <laughs> you know, trying the brains of this operation. Okay. <laughs> like, like I almost wish that like John Murdoch had no romantic connections at all. Yes. But it was just him just trying to figure out like all these kind of things. The the, the, the love story, quote unquote, just it doesn't need to exist. Yeah, there's and... there's flashes of goodness in the love story. Like I said, there's there's an idea there that could kind of work, and it actually does kind of work for me at the very end, mainly due to the style of it, because it's like a Wizard of Oz moment where you're like, Okay, mm. the whole movie's been dark noir and then oh my goodness, it's yes. beautiful. I think that was but... the creepiest part for me. Cause he was like, I'm God. Do you want to go out? Like, it was just like, oh boy, like, cool, she gets to just be lied to forever. 
forever. <laughs> Why is she getting lied to? Because like she is because she has no agency. She has no agency. She's literally been imprinted. He just has to like know her all over again. Do you think he's gonna roll and be like, I made this whole place? Like, well, hold on. No, of course what? not. He's going to like probably deceive her forever. Otherwise, it just seems crazy. So well, I feel how, really how bad for she, her character. How has she been imprinted at the end of the movie? We don't know that. They, they, they rewrote. They her. rewrote her. Yeah, they said her name is Anna now or Anna now. Like it's is Anna. that a different person? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So she can Completely just start different. over, and if she no, likes, they lost she... it all. They said that in the movie. They lost all of the memories. She's like a whole new person who doesn't know exactly who. Yeah, that's perfect though. It What's just means that? that she's just gonna keep. It's not who she is. She has no agency. She's been lied to this whole time. She's going to continue to be lied to the whole time. It's necessarily perpet- like this really cool universe of perpetual. I, see I what don't you're know saying. sexual you're saying, assault. You're saying she'll never have the understanding John Murdoch has about. Like he's literally on. God at the end, and just like, hey, you want to go out? No big deal. I know everything about you. Not creepy at all. Do you think he's gonna divulge that information? Oh, it's not you though. It was someone else uh, who was also know. faked. It's this this other you who was also fake and wasn't real because we don't know who any of us were really. So anyway, I have all this information. I'm probably never going to share it with you. <laughs> There's- yeah. You're you're assuming a lot about what happens in the next five minutes after the last scene. After I mean, the I rest of their lives, I don't think he'll, he would ever tell her. But I don't know. Who, who knows? Why? How do we know? There's no way well, to know. It is. <laughs> so there is this. All right. So we discover that the world isn't real. Murdoch discovers that the the this world is created, rather than that becoming like a fact that needs to be defeated there's no like fuck we gotta figure out how to get back to the real world we gotta get back to planet earth that's not the thing that happens the the concept here is like yeah you discover the things outside of you like it's you know it's the allegory of the cave like we're we're living in a reality created by perception rather than a reality consisting of anything actually real but you can't really do anything about it so you accept it and you allow yourself to be a part of it uh Murdoch is in a weird ass position where rather than allowing himself to become a part of it, he gets to make any change that he desires to the world, including making up this beach and his fake memories that he doesn't even have anymore, uh, and just like creating the world as he sees fit. And that is a really, I, I think the like concept that they're trying to get across there is this like acceptance of like creating your own purpose and understanding or something like that but really what is happening is he is creating the world into the thing that he wants to exist Mm -hmm. and allowing other people to exist within that world and i think that relationship is a small part of that yeah that relationship is like they will never have an equitable power dynamic ever so I think the ending of this movie is extremely frightening I mean, to me. Yes, it is. It really is. Like, I don't see it as romantic. I see it as terrifying. I, I don't see it as romantic, but I see it as more open-ended than... I definitely don't I mean, see it as a happy ending. So, so, the, so the, the way that this could be resolved... It's not happy. It's is just a weird... They also is what John Murdoch does. He gives her a cocktail where he teaches her how to manipulate the machine yes, as well. Exactly. And then they rule as Adam and Eve. 
or just cool, great. give everybody the same ability. You know, like it, the problem is, uh, is everyone you, with the same ability in this society. Well, right. It's well, not going to work. It's all bad. It's not going to work no matter what you that's do. Just is Dragon Ball Z battles all the way down at exactly. that point. Exactly. <laughs> at every yes, Mambo number five, Dragon Z battle, Dragon Ball Z battles. The the problem is is at this. <laughs> this is this movie's like pure nineties. <laughs> yes. The, <laughs> Even our fan fiction of it is pure nineties. The, the problem is is at the end of the movie, there's no satisfying way to. Like you Who can't, wants some hot pockets? There's too much. <laughs> there's too much power being given to characters. So it's like, okay, well, what if you give everybody the same power? Well, then everything's fucked. What if you give John Murdoch the power? Well, everything's fucked. It's like, it just doesn't work. It's like, uh, you know, that's in the sequel, I'm sure. Once well, they, good once thing he the gave them City all a sequel. beach at least. There's sunlight well, now. There's sunlight. Yeah. Oh, good better. thing he gave them the sun and a beach. <laughs> What do you want him to do? <laughs> I don't understand. I don't really have a good answer. I'm just saying, like, all of this is bad. I'm like, I think you were supposed to be like, this is a semi-happy ending. And I'm like, ugh, no. <laughs> Ooh, also, also from a, you know, like, leftist economic observationalist uh, perspective. We call it the, materialism, Chris. Yeah. I, well... Okay, so so, but but just from a like observation of what's going on here, there is, and I don't think they really make any commentary on it, but I do appreciate how like people are just like assigned to economic roles and yes. then like reassigned to different economic roles, just as in our current system of existence where people are randomly assigned by virtue of where and when they are born to their particular economic roles, and in this this movie, like you see it in like particular focus because they get reassigned at random but then we do end up in this world where just like whichever life they had assigned to them last like they're stuck in that one <laughs> which well maybe like uh, you know the problem is is where the movie ends it doesn't go into that again if everybody just magically gets powers then they can live as happy as they want to or be. probably it, destroy themselves tear themselves apart on this little probably. fragile island in space that's a happy ending. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> the su- the ob- sweet release of the void. Yes. Total obliteration, finally. Um, yeah, that's what humanity all, is. All, Welcome, aliens. All's quiet on the Western Front at last. Ugh. Yeah, plus we genocided some aliens. It, it, everybody gets it. Everybody dies. It's great. Death is certain. The movie. <laughs> what a really good outlook. Um... <laughs> Well, you know, uh, I want to see the sequel of the sequel to this, where you deal with the where Murdoch deals with like the psychological implications of just becoming God over the course of a couple of days. Yeah, it's Bruce that Almighty. Akira. No, Bruce Almighty. It's the same movie. Remember that? Yeah, that's what Bruce Almighty was doing. Was exploring oh. the like deep. Was that a Dark City Two script? <laughs> psychological implications. <laughs> yeah, so... the trauma of becoming omnipotent. Would y'all recommend this movie? I think I know the answers for some people. <laughs> I think it's interesting. I will I will say, even though I didn't like it, it's a very interesting film. I think it's something that, like, particularly if you're really into, like, 90s sci-fi, this, like, nails that. And if you loved Tim Burton movies, um, this is something I think that is going to be a little bit more mature and more sophisticated than most Tim Burton movies. But it is very fun. So It doesn't it have a Danny Elfman soundtrack, though. That's a that might be a point in its favor, FYI. But it does have that wonderful song that isn't Mambo Number Five. <laughs> Jennifer, uh, this song, uh, this movie is uh, better than The Matrix, 
but probably I'm not sorry. probably not as good as Garfield the movie. <laughs> <laughs> make of that what you will. I love this movie. Does that mean that you really love Garfield? Well, you know, future Patreon episode. <laughs> we'll get into Is it. Garfield science fiction? Oh, a, a talking cat. cat? Yes, a talking cat? Question mark? That eats lasagna. I watched That's very that strange and fantastical. Too, by the way, I watch a talking cat. It passes the yeah. Bechdel test. <laughs> Sorry, a talking cat. That's talking because there's a, there's a uh, exclamation mark behind the question mark. Is it as good as Vampire Dog? Um, it's very bad. Uh, so I so never yes. saw Vampire Dog, but it's literally just a cat that's resolving family uh, complications, bringing families together. Um, a cat? A cat. It's really Those, about. Sorry, it's a movie I, really about family. It's about family. It's a talking cat. <laughs> the gulf between how much I like pets and how much I despise pet movies is insane. That's I love cats. I love Homeward dogs. Bound growing up. No, Homeward Bound is fine. Homeward Bound is okay. That's a pet movie. It doesn't. It doesn't <laughs> count though. It's an adventure. I'm talking about. I'm talking about fucking a dog's purpose. Airbud. I'm talking about. Uh, what is this insane? That's, that's because yeah. Well, that's because yeah. the dog's purpose is like Airbud. dog murder porn. You know what all these movies have in common, folks? They are speculative <laughs> fiction. True. Would, uh, <laughs> the second Starcast would love to cover. Please send in email us with your uh, favorite speculative fiction about um, talking animals. I watched this movie in the theater when it came out, and I remember liking it stylistically. Um, I think I would recommend it to someone who is very into, like, visual, like, art and that type of, like, style. Um, if I was recommending it to someone who was, like, very picky about story and, like, substance and stuff like that, maybe not. But um, it's, a, it's a hard maybe. It's a hard maybe from me. Yeah, I would I would definitely recommend watching it. It does a lot of interesting stuff. You got to I think it's good to know what you're signing up for. I mean, <laughs> I mean, maybe not. I didn't know what I was signing up for and I still enjoyed the experience, but if you like I guess knowing about the like, you know, violence against women trope that it embraces from the start is probably a good thing to understand if that's the sort of um if that's something that that affects you, uh then be warned about that. But I, I think visually it's very interesting. It's got the a very cool kind of like indeterminate time period noir feeling to it. And kind of like it does have that sort of like Blade Runner thing. So if you've run out of Blade Runner movies and you want a little more, this doesn't quite scratch that itch, but it comes from a similar starting point. So Next week we'll be discussing the 1998 film Blade starred Wesley Snipes. Uh, where can we all find y'all on social media? I am at Refreshing Time. Um, I'm trying not to complain as much and instead making jokes about not feral hogs. Um, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast, and I have upped my percentage of complain tweets in order to make up for Bert's uh, <laughs> retiring from the game. I'm Thank at you. Anime Weed Fart 69, and I complain and get horny. So. You can find me on Twitter at a very big bear. You can also follow the cast on at Second Star Cast. Um, you can find us on anywhere you can find uh, podcasts. If you'd love to um, give us a review, we'd really appreciate it. It would help us a lot in terms of getting out there and sharing this with your friends. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful week. <laughs>